Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. Now, what we saw in 1 Samuel 16 was a change in dynasties. We went from the dynasty of King Saul, and he, uh, of course, really pushes God away, and the spirit departs from him. And then we see the spirit alight on, king, or on David, not yet the king, uh, but God wants him to be the king. But I think more importantly than that is, again, not just the change of dynasties, but the difference between someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit and someone who's not filled with the Holy Spirit. It is only through the power of God that we can do great things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And King Saul felt he could do it in his own strength. And as we go through these next several chapters, we're going to see a huge decline in the life of King Saul because of it. And, of course, God elevate David to prominency. Uh, Tonight, we're going to be in the classic account of David and Goliath, which is uh, most children can recite the story verbatim. But as I go through it and I studied it, I see, boy, there's even more applications for adults. So I think we're really going to get a treat as we read this tonight. So starting with verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered together on Socha, which belongs to Judah, which is part of Israel. They encamped between Socha and Azekah and Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. So we start off with the armies of God, the armies of Israel, and the armies of the Philistines uh, squared off really against each other with a valley in between them. And if you look on a map, we see that the Philistines came into Israel's land. They encroached upon their borders and they came into uh, property that belonged to to the children of Israel in Judah. Now, there's going to be, I'm going to bring up four points of really sin and evil and temptation and the things that go with that. And if we look at the Philistines, which we should as a type of temptation, sin, evil, then this represents the fact that evil and temptation will always encroach upon a believer's life. As a matter of fact, the more you are used of God, expect more of these attacks to occur. I'm going to read uh, or quote Genesis 4-7 when the Lord, when God is speaking to Cain before he kills his brother. And God says to Cain, because he accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's, and there was a heart issue in those sacrifices, And God was fair in that assessment. But he says to Cain, because Cain is downcast, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do well, then sin lies at the door. And its desire is to rule over you, but you shall rule over it. And then, of course, Cain doesn't heed the advice of, of God, and he kills his brother out of jealousy. But it's true. It will try to encroach upon our lives, and we'll see that. Ever so subtly, ever so close, inching closer and closer until it's really in our territory. What do we do about it? Verse 4. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. 
Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and his shield bearer went before him. So this guy's over nine feet tall. He has 125 pounds of body armor. And a Jewish source translated one portion of scripture that said his spear was really as thick as a baseball bat. Remember, he was a big man, so he, our hands would wrap around like a broomstick or a rake or a, a javelin, and you know, the circumference is, is only so much, but because he was so big, his spear had a 15-pound uh, tip at the, at the head of it, and when he gripped it, it was the girth of a baseball bat. So who wants to fight this guy? Anybody? <laughs> now, we can look at this in a few ways. Um, uh, simply by saying that there's a, a disease or a, um, a malady that humans get, and it's called giantism. Uh, I believe Andre the, Andre the Giant, a wrestler, had that. But also Robert Wadlow, a uh, very famous guy. If you look him up in the encyclopedia, he was 8 foot 11 inches tall. So he was just shy of 9 feet tall, and there's a picture of him in the, in the encyclopedia. And basically it was a hypertrophy or an overgrowth of the pituitary gland in the brain that releases growth hormones. So the man grew and grew and grew. Imagine somebody that tall or that big. So his whole body grew, not just, the, not just his height. Um, the other way of looking at this, and I know uh, many pastors and men of God who maybe don't agree with this theory, but uh, I think it's very interesting, and I, I kind of lean towards it, is in Genesis 6.4, 6, it spoke about the Nephilim, the men of re- renown, the giants. Now, three interesting portions of Scripture that kind of back that up. In other words, this was, uh, some say, well, how did they get to be so big? Uh, Well, one understanding or theory is when you read the scripture, it does appear that the uh, fallen angels had left their habitation, had mated with the daughters of men, and uh, produced this kind of hybrid super race of giants. When we look at that, we see Genesis 6-4 that says there were giants in those days and after that. So even after the flood, these beings were around. The second way to look at this is that the angels, uh, when Jesus speaks about this, and we covered this in Matthew's gospel, the angels of God, the good ones, they don't marry or are given and marry, okay? They serve God, but those are the good ones. The third point as we look at this is in, in Jude's book, we see that the, some angels left, they didn't keep their proper domain and left their habitation, And because of this great sin that they committed, they were locked up in chains of darkness. God has them, this class of angels, so so bad that they're just locked up until uh, incarcerated until the the day of judgment comes. Whereas in Revelation, we see some other angels and there's different orders of angels. And even in the the underworld, uh, you see different classes or types of angels. So I kind of subscribe to that that understanding. Not everybody does, but I I think it's, it's pretty much supported in Scripture. Uh, Verse 8, then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel. This day give me a man that we may fight together. 
When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So this guy is a, a gargantuan, and since they hadn't developed rocket launchers yet or hand grenades, nobody was really in a hurry to do a little mano a mano, a little hand-to-hand combat with this guy. So when we look at the second point regarding evil, the second point is that evil will encroach on your territory and it will challenge and harass you, just like this Philistine did. It will be in your face. Now, we're going to get to the fourth point of what we do about this, but the second point, it just keeps, again, moving closer and closer and then it gets in your face. So what do we do about that? Now, the idea, let's just go back to the story for a minute, is that two champions would fight instead of both nations fighting. Now, of course, the Philistines knew that they had such a great champion, notwithstanding God, put God on the side, because, of course, they didn't worship the true God. They knew that an earthly man couldn't take their guy. So this was a great idea. He has to fight any Israelite, he wins, and and the Israelites served them. So this was their plan. Now, at this point, King Saul lost the Holy Spirit. We covered that in the last chapter. And his leadership is diminishing we see that he's not leading. A leader needs to have ideas and needs to trust God for the outcome. So I could just imagine, it must have been very uncomfortable. I try to put myself in the shoes of these these accounts. This is going on for some time. Everyone's looking to the king. Well, what do we do? And he's like, well, I'm not fighting him. (laughs) Well, you guys want to fight him? Well, I'm not fighting him. So there's this kind of stalemate. And the Philistine is, is calling out the Israelites, right? I know that as a leader myself, I have to pray before the decisions come. And we should all be doing that. And seriously, Lord, when it, when it comes down the line and it's, it's, it's going to hit me square and I have to make a decision, Lord, I pray that you already bathe my decisions in your prayer and in your goodness and give me your godly wisdom. So we can, that's, we can look at that beforehand. Now, we know that King Saul was a large man as well, probably not as big as Goliath. We know that his armor was probably big and clunky because David can't, he can't negotiate with his armor and he just takes it off. But King Saul was afraid. You know why? Because he lost his connection with God. Now let's look at the Israelites. In verse 8 it said they were dismayed. There's another translation in Hebrew which means that they were broken. This is a sad place to be. From the king, from the leader, all the way down to the foot soldier and the guys who maybe bring the uh, equipment, everyone was demoralized because the king lost his connection with God. And there was nobody else who had an original idea either. A very sad situation. And this is what happened when sin isn't dealt with. You see, especially among God's people, God is always, he's ready. He's always on the other end of the phone. Sometimes it's up to us to just pick it up. He's always willing to listen to us. Verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were, this should sound familiar from the last study, Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shema. David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. 
Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. I said, remember the names. Remember Eliab, the firstborn, stately kind of guy, kind of looked like a king. Remember Samuel, wanted to pick him to be the king. And God said, no, it's not him. It's the shepherd boy out in the field. Even Samuel was taken by this man's appearance. He was very kingly looking. Did you realize or did you notice that Eliab's in no hurry to fight Goliath? Imagine if he would have been the king. It also would have been a stalemate. I don't see in the scripture Eliab saying, Move, make way everyone, I'm Eliab, I'm going to fight Goliath. I'm going to redeem the armies of Israel. Doesn't do any of that. As a matter of fact, as we look at his words, we'll see that his behavior was actually pretty poor towards his brother David. In verse 16, Goliath taunted the Israelites for 40 days. Again, demoralizing the troops. The plan was probably to completely humiliate them and then attack and smash them to pieces if nobody was going to fight Goliath. The third thing that evil and sin does is if it sees that we're in a state of fear or ineptitude, it will attempt to control us like, a, like an abusive spouse. It will attempt to gain power, authority, control over us. You know what's amazing? There are many Christians who live in a state of, of, of fear because they don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit that God gives them. And if the enemy sees that, the best thing the enemy can do, he can't steal our salvation. So the next best thing is to demoralize us, to take our heart away, to make us useless, render us useless for the kingdom. And that often happens. And I'll tell you this, when Christians live in fear and cower to the enemy, it's just that constant cycle of bondage and it's heartbreaking to watch. Satan lies to us, tells us that God can't use us, that we're worthless, even after we've come to the cross. You know, God places such a high value on us. Sometimes we listen to the enemy and we shouldn't do that. doesn't matter what you've been through. God places value in you. Verse 19 this is an interesting word. I looked it up because it almost implies that there was some fighting going on. Um, but the truth is, it, it could also mean they were fighting or battling or making war or a figure of speech. There really was no fighting going on until David and Goliath uh, squared off against each other. Verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption in Israel. 
Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Again, nobody was stepping up. (laughs) This is some really good stuff. You get to marry the king's daughter. You get a tax exemption, right? You get riches. But looking at Goliath, that stuff isn't any good if the guy kills me, you know, and rips me limb from limb. And they were filled with fear. So David's on a mission. He's going to bring supplies to his brothers. Uh, He's going to see how the battle is going. And he hears Goliath taunt the Israelites. And in verse 24, apparently as Goliath gets closer, the Jewish soldiers run away and David is incensed. Almost to say, are you guys kidding me? You know, we're the army of Israel. We're the good guys, the living God. We need to take away the reproach of Israel. Is anybody willing to step forward? You know, you got to love David. He has this childlike faith. But you know what? He puts his money where his mouth is. He doesn't just make a lot of noise. He says, I'll do it. And we'll see that. It's very encouraging. Again, riches, the king's daughters, a tax exemption, and nobody steps up to the plate. Now, a few points that we need to see in this is that it's sad when we see those in the world, and sometimes in the church, look for a man as a champion. You see, David trusted in God. The men were trusting in their own abilities. They compared themselves. They compared the Philistines. No way. It's not adding up. This guy's going to kill me. See, they, weren't, they were discounting God. And they were looking for a champion. Well, do we have anyone his size? But that's what it wasn't, it wasn't about that. David probably was the smallest guy. But he steps up to the plate. We talked Sunday about the Antichrist. We talked about man worship. You know? Yeah, I see a lot of head shaking. Because the human condition is to look for something that's tangible. I can touch it. I can smell it. I can see it. I can hear it. Well, God kind of eludes our senses. He's there. We know he's there. We see him do incredible things, but he's not necessarily tangible. And it's not just the world who does it, but believers do it too. Sometimes we panic. Sometimes we fret. And sometimes we, re- we rely on earthly, tangible things. I've got to take care of myself, you know? Nobody else is going to take care of me. It's the wrong attitude to have as a believer. Two, did anybody think of consulting God on the matter? <laughs> Were there any prayer circles in here? I didn't see any. Three, again, how sad must it be when God's door is always open, but nobody is knocking on it? Verse 28. Now Eliab, remember, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So David's brother, his brothers are angry at him. The people, you know, don't stir the pot. Don't make too much noise here. All right, this is not going to happen. Nobody's going to go out to fight him. And what do they do? They start accusing David. Well, you're shirking your responsibilities. I think you may have pride. Maybe you're nosy and you want to see what's going on in battle. They start ascribing to him negative things that he doesn't own. We know that uh, the sheep were being taken care of and the father sent them. He's just being obedient. 
The truth is, number one, they were afraid. And number two, they were ashamed that they were afraid. That's the key. They knew David was speaking the truth, but they wanted to shut him up because they knew that some of that conviction lied with them as well. Sometimes, sometimes, when somebody snaps at us and jumps all over us and we say, what did I do? Sometimes they do it out of fear. Sometimes we need to look past the emotions. You know, they, they freak out. They do something. And, you know, you got to step back and say, where did that come from? Do you know that fear and anger are very closely related? This is a proven fact. Actually, anger has been used to cover fear. A very interesting study there. Verse 31. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. So not only does he have size, but he has experience. Man's a warrior, a proven warrior. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by the beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) Better you than me. Good luck. Wow. Very powerful. I get choked up when I read that. The, The faith that this young kid had for the Lord. Everybody around him is terrified. Everybody's telling him you can't do it. And he's saying, no way, no way. You know, when I was taking care of my sheep and, and a predator came to attack the sheep, God gave me the, the strength to do it. I don't think there was pride here. I think he really just was a man of faith from his youth. So, you wonder sometimes with Saul, and it could go one or two ways. How could King Saul, being now a worldly man, knowing that nobody can defeat Goliath, how could his conscience be with him and let this little kid go out there and get ripped apart limb from limb by this giant. Or we could look at it this way. He knew there was something different about David. He noticed it. He knew that he found favor in God's eyes and he said, go ahead, let's see what you can do. Verse 33, I want to read again. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. This is the voice of the enemy. Have you ever prayed about something, knew that God showed you, it was crystal clear, you understood his plan, and then you get around others and they try to discourage you? Now, that's, this has even happened with believers. I'm sure we all have some type of experience. You know, you're on, you're on fire, you're encouraged, you see that it's in line with his word and God is showing you something and there are others that come around you and say, what are you doing? What are you talking about? That's a stupid plan, Right? It's the voice of the enemy. And some unwittingly, without prayer, just utter these things. I tell you, when I went to put in my retirement papers, I heard those voices too. Well, you know, if you just stayed another six years, you could get all the benefits. You know, what are you doing? You better think this through. 
Yeah, I did it. This is, by the way, this is the past because I already did it. But I heard different voices trying to speak what they said was reason or logic. But I knew what the Lord had showed me. Go with what the Lord has shown you. Make sure it's biblical. Make sure it's prayed through. But do what the Lord has showed, shown you. I kind of like that. He, uh, some of these things strike me. He, I guess he grabbed the lion by his beard. You know how lions have that little thing there? But uh, face to face with a lion. He took him out. I love this. David is a shepherd. You know, we're going to see these four points, which we didn't get to the fourth one about sin and evil and what it tries to do to the life of a believer. But in the same parallel, in the same vein, is leadership here. We keep seeing these qualities of a leader. David, as a shepherd, he loved and defended those he was leading. They're just sheep. They're just dirty farm animals. He could have seen the danger and ran away. But he was tasked to be obedient, to take care of those sheep, and he didn't run away. In John 10, Jesus speaks about the hireling, somebody in a church or, or leading a group of believers. As soon as danger comes, he beats feet. He's gone quicker than anybody else. He says, that's not a shepherd. Of course, the wolf is obvious, but a hireling, sometimes you don't see a hireling's true colors until there's danger. But David was a good under-shepherd. Now, it doesn't mean as, as leaders we coddle sin, but we protect those that we're ministering uh, to. The second point is God can do anything. Give it our best shot. And the third is this scriptural vision of a leader is contagious. In verse 37, you see Saul is emphatic. Go and the Lord be with you. He convinces the king. Isn't this amazing? A little shepherd boy now is leading the king who's supposed to be the leader of of Israel. So in a sense, David indirectly now is leading not only the army, but the nation of Israel at this point. Think of the ramifications of what he did. Think of the the ramifications if if the troops were demoralized and Goliath just called them all, said, let's just attack them. And they just slaughtered them. What What would happen to Israel? So, you know, when we look at these, the, the ripple effects of some of these actions, it's mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Verse 38, so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. I could just picture this. <laughs> he would also clothe him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. It's almost like when a kid puts on their dad's clothes and they're tripping over the pants and stuff. So David, he just can't do it, you know, and he just, he sheds it. These were man's weapons. David knew that if he was going to be victorious, he would have to use spiritual weapons, the weapons of God. Let me just give you just a few verses in Ephesians 6. This is what a, I could just picture the Apostle Paul watching the Romans all the time. You know, they were always guarding him or watching him or uh, saving him from, from danger, from the crowds. So the Apostle Paul had very good observation skills of the Romans because he would see them all the time. And he would look at their uniforms, their breastplates, their helmets, their swords. And he looked at that and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said, you know what, as Christians, we need armor too, but not that kind of armor. This is awesome. Ephesians 6, starting with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand the wiles of the devil. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So David knew what type of armor he needed to go into battle with. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and good-looking. This isn't the type of man I want to fight. Are you kidding me? What are you, what are you bringing me? And my son loves this verse. He absolutely loves this. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That was my own little emphasis there. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Wow. Running on adrenaline and Holy Spirit power. He was jacked up and ready to go. I love it. One of my favorite scriptures. So David picks up some simple tools. Uh, He knew in his heart it had to be all God. He knew. You know, it's just like the bullies in, on the field, you know, when a little kid comes up to him and they grab him by the head and they're swinging and they're not hitting. David knew in, in earthly ways, and now he didn't even have armor. He's got nothing. He had to rely on God completely. He knew what he had to do. Verse 40, he picks up five smooth stones. Now, 2 Samuel 21 tells us that Goliath had four brothers. And some Bible commentators, I won't steal their thunder, have said that it is possible that David was prepared to take down all five brothers. So he took all five stones. It's conjecture, but it is very interesting. So Goliath and his armor bearer advance, and they see as they get closer, a boy with a slingshot? You could just imagine the pride of Goliath. You know, this isn't even worth my time. You guys have to be kidding me. Is there somebody else worthy that I could fight? So at least it's, it's a little bit of a competition. So it lasts more than 10 seconds. And he says, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? I love it. Verse 45, David says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts or the Lord's armies. Truly what was going to protect David. You know, sometimes we, when we have wealth, when we have popularity, when we have the relationships that we want, when we have a little bit of money in the bank, when we have our favorite job, when we have education and degrees, letters after our name, sometimes we can be tempted to leave God in the dust. In anything that we do, even as believers, you can get good at anything. You can fake anything. Sometimes it's better to have less because you really have to rely on the Lord. 
When stuff is stripped from you by earthly means, then that really measures what type of men and women we are. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, you get it. You know, and, and, and it's sad because a lot of people say, so what's your story? Why did you become a Christian? Because they expect some story about hitting rock bottom. But the truth is, because we're so willful, as, and I'm willful, we're so willful as human beings that sometimes it takes us to get a wake-up call to hit rock bottom before we see a need for our Savior. So everything I tried to do failed again. So it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to do. So I got all these achievements, and I'm still not happy because it's the Lord that we're missing. Love this stuff. Verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. (laughs) And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it, he will give you into our hands. Wow, powerful. Let me tell you, Goliath, what's going to happen to you. He was being a prophet there in a sense. This is your future, the near future. The Lord doesn't save with sword and spear. I love that. Right? The Lord doesn't save with education. The Lord doesn't save with a big house. The Lord doesn't save with our plans doesn't save with knowing the local politicians. The Lord does not see. We're looking at sword and spear. Just fill in the blanks. Several thousand years later, all the modern technology, computers, whatever the case may be, government taking care of us, the Lord does not save with those things. We have to fully trust on him and then really see how he works. You know, I see churches try to do it the world's way today. It's a tough economy. Tithing is down. People are losing their jobs. You know, as a young pastor, as a new pastor, I was pressured, even by people within my leadership, to advertise. And you know what? I always said no. For years, I refused. Well, you could put Calvary Chapel Crossfield on the local TV station. It doesn't cost anything. I said no, no, no. If this church grows, I want it to be because it's something that God did and not something that we did, some gimmickry. I didn't like it. And I'm really glad that I didn't, because now I see what the Lord did. And it wasn't because of what I did or any, any plans that we had. There are some churches that bring in worldly companies that tell them how to grow their church or how to get more money out of people. It's really sad. The Lord is not in it. The Lord does not save with sword or spear. Verse 48. And it was so when the Philistine arose and came to draw near to meet David, that David hastened and ran toward the toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sharim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. 
And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. David was not trying to be a leader. He just was. And that's another thing about leadership. When we're serving the Lord and we're trusting him and we believe in him, it just happens. It may not be something that we ask for. There are those who have worldly gifts and worldly leadership gifts, and they find frustration sometimes when they come into ministry because it doesn't work the same. Even Jesus said, the Gentiles lord it over each other. You want to have authority over somebody? You're not in leadership for the right reason. When you're serving the Lord and you're trusting in him, he will naturally elevate you to the position that he wants you to be in. When you honor God, God honors you. That's a, definitely a maxim that, that you know, we try to live by. So Goliath is killed. Now, the fourth thing about evil and sin is it won't go away until you do something about it. And David did something about it. He cut its head off. Whether it's temptation or sin, and you know, listen, I, I don't consider a Christian who has a legitimate health concern or you know, something tragic that ha- happens in their life, that's notwithstanding. But there are some Christians who just constantly whine about their situations. They whine. It's little things. They have the power to do something. They can trust in God. They can get involved. They can apply themselves. Application is big as a believer. And when we don't apply ourselves, don't complain when things don't go our way. You know, this is a daily walk with the Lord. So it's it's something, it's not going to go away on its own. Verse 49, it said, "The, the stone sank in his forehead. Now, I'll tell you this. Goliath must have had a big head. <laughs> and if he had a big head, he probably had a very thick... This is, I saw a guy, he got, he got shot with a twenty-two, and the twenty-two, his skull actually caught it. And he's walking around talking to the first aiders with a bullet in his head. And they just pulled it right out. This part of the head is very strong. It's one of the strongest parts of the skull. So David flings the stone, and the stone sinks in his forehead. I got to tell you this, that I believe, and I could be wrong, that when David... And he let that thing go. God put a little English on it. And it was zoom, you know. All of a sudden, David was like, wow. Bam, hit him in the forehead. He goes down like a ton of bricks. Derek isn't here tonight, but when we play paintball, I'm, I'm, beh- I'm behind the bunker. I mean, I'm, I'm behind the bunker, and I got my gun out, and, and he's shooting, and these bullets going zoom, 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 zoom. I'm like, I'm behind the bunker. How are these things getting so close to me? He cheats, though. He has this gun that... that <laughs> It doesn't happen in the real world, but his bullets kind of do a curveball and they go behind the bunkers. I don't know why I got onto that, but God, I think, helped him a little bit with that. I really believe that. Uh, So this is what happens. He falls and, and David takes his head off. Last few verses, verse 55. Now, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. You know, when we honor God, we also honor those that we love. It's, it has a ripple effect. You know, David's goodness and his, his, his um, trusting in God blessed Israel, blessed the army, blessed his father. So all of a sudden, his father is now going to be honored by the king. 
You know, as believers, we can hurt those that are close to us by our actions, or we can help them by our actions. If we have a good witness, it's contagious. If we have a bad witness, the opposite is also true. So, I'm, you know, the, the logical question for those who are students of the Bible was, well, didn't we just read before that David would play music for King Saul? How does this happen? How does Saul not know him? A few ideas. Number one, David was a little bit younger and his looks may have changed. May, may play into it a little bit. Two, that when King Saul called for David, remember Saul was in a maddened state because of the distressing spirit. It could have clouded his judgment. It could have clouded his senses. And he just didn't recognize David because he was, he was going mad. Uh, David, maybe King Saul's uh, faculties deteriorated due to his spiritual problems. Uh, and maybe when David played for him, he didn't actually play right in front of him. Remember, he's the king. So it could have been like a, a kind of room off to the side with a veil, and David was playing. He heard the music, maybe heard his voice, but he didn't see him. Just like when I say, when we pray and I say, Lord, we come before you, we're not, we don't see God in the, in the ceiling up here or, or hear him, but we know he's here with us. But right now, because of this side of eternity, there's a little bit of a veil right now. We don't see the full glory of God. So that's, that's an analogy. As I said before, this story is for uh, kids, but it, as I think this, it's revealed that it's certainly for us. I think all of us can take something home with this. And just a few points to make is that, number one, sometimes when the odds are skewed or the deck is really stacked against us, it really shows how great God is when, when something comes through. Remember Gideon? He kept whittling down his army and said, when you win, I just want you to remember that Gideon, it wasn't you. I gave you the victory. So he whittled down his guys to 300, fighting, I think, roughly 135,000 of the Midianites. Number two, so when we have big problems, sometimes we think the bigger the problem, there's nothing the Lord can do, which is kind of weird. The truth is, the bigger the problem, the Lord can do anything. Number two, sometimes uh, we have to address Goliaths in our lives. Um, you know, each Goliath for you may be something different from me or different from somebody in the back. But the truth is that sometimes we also have to get the slingshot out. David did something. You know, we work hand in hand with the Lord. God is going to help us. He's going to uh, encourage us. He's going to help us work through problems, but he also expects us to do stuff. And David actually went, got the stones, got the slingshot. It's a partnership there. We can't just sit back and, and say, Lord, solve all my problems. It just doesn't work like that. Three, sometimes we're our own Goliaths. <laughs> How many people have been there? I have. I'm in my own way. The biggest Goliath has my face on him. Four, God honors the one that honors him. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible, impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must, number one, believe that he is. And number two, just as important, equally, and they go together, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Very important. And five, if we trust in God, those Goliaths can come down one by one. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray.